Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. All right, everyone, I am so excited to have just quite frankly, one of my favorite people in the entire world here on this podcast with us today. Neil Williams is a life coach that I've had the privilege of working with for almost the past two years, who above anyone else that I have had the privilege of working with has changed my life fundamentally. And I really hope that you know that Neil, the impact that you've had on my life. Um, and I'm excited for you to be able to share just one of the many things that I've learned from you over the years. Um, Neil Williams is a life coach. She helps with productivity and just really fundamentally shifting a lot of beliefs that we have about ourselves, about our lives that impact us perhaps in a way that isn't serving us best. Um, so Neil, I'm so excited to welcome you to the podcast. And I just really think that this is going to be such a powerful episode for our listeners. Oh my goodness, Caitlin. I don't even know to say that was the most amazing introduction ever. <laughs> thank you so very much. And thank you for, um, letting me be here and talk with your amazing teaching teacher audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we were talking about this before we started recording of any, audience who I think could benefit the most from the work that you do. It's teachers, you know, teachers, and especially, you know, the communities that we work with. And I myself as a teacher experienced this as well. You know, we always want to do a great job. We are those a players that want to show up for our students. You know, so many of us are called into this profession to make a difference, to change people's lives. We're those overachievers. And I think a lot of the times when you are that type of person, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect, to do a great job. And that, you know, leaks into our time with our family, our time with our friends, our time for ourselves. And so in today's podcast episode, we're really going to talk about some ways that we can help you as our listeners think about your productivity and your time in a different way. That's going to serve you so much better so that you can be a high performer and have time outside of school, leave at three 15, three 30, spend time with your family, the things and people that you value outside of your profession. So I'm excited to dive into this conversation. Yeah. And I think what you said there is so fundamental. It bears repeating Caitlin is those of us who are high performing, high achieving, We somehow, and this is through societal messages, through lots of messages we had growing up for many of us, believe that spending more time somehow makes us more high achieving, more high performing. And so we get into this snowball effect of, well, I'll just finish this thing or I'll just spend an extra half hour. And it just kind of like, is this time creep that happens And what we want to try and help you all with today is some strategies, some ways of thinking that'll help you continue your hard performance. We're not saying let's let that go. We still want you to be high achieving that if that's what you want to do, 
but not have to use a bunch of extra time in order to be able to do that. So work your regular hours and still be able to achieve everything that you want to achieve would be ultimately the goal of what we want to help you with today. And I love that because I think this ties into your story, you know, and I'd love for you actually to start there. You know, we're (laughs) going to be talking about how, you know, constraining our time actually increases productivity, which is just such a a fascinating, you know, you're like the, how does that make sense? But it does. (laughs) Um, I'd love for you to share like your background, your story, what led you to being so passionate about helping other people do this in their lives? Because I, I think your story is a powerful one to share with our audience. Yeah. So this started for me actually many, many years ago. I've been on this journey for quite some time now, probably 10 years. My son, as we're recording this, he just turned 13 this weekend. So I've had all the mom feels all week (laughs) thinking about like, I only have a few years left with him and all that. And it really started when I became a mom, I was like that typical, like high achieving human. I'm going to go in the corporate world and I'm going to climb that ladder and do all those things that everyone told me I needed to do to be successful. And what happened, the, the world that I went into, so I'm an actuary, if anyone even knows what that is, I always feel like I explain that to people and it's like Chandler Bing's job. Like nobody knew what he actually (laughs) did. I always felt this is basically an analytical job, like numbers kind of job. He went into that world and in order to be successful, you were expected to work a lot of overtime hours. And I really bought into that for a long time because I didn't know any better. And so like to the extent where we on our meetings, they would show this spreadsheet of all the people and all of their overtime hours. And I, for a long time, I was super proud to be at the top of that list, like hundreds and hundreds of overtime hours. It wasn't until I had my son where I started realizing like, oh, I don't, I actually don't want to be working all this time. I want to like give space for myself to be a mom and to be doing mommy the way that I want to do this. So I had that going on, but I also was like, but I don't want to give up my career dreams either. I don't want to like go part-time and make less money and not be able to fulfill on what I wanted to do in my career. So I had this, the tension between those two and it took me a while, but I finally figured out it was like, oh, they don't actually care about the overtime hours. I mean, they say they do, but what they really care about is what we're producing inside those hours. And that was the thing that gave me just that little bit of edge to start thinking about what I was doing differently. So I was like, okay, so Neil, if you could just figure out like how to do the work that you're doing in 60 hours in like 40, let's go there first. So you're not working any overtime. What would that look like? And it took me a while to get there, but I did, I figured out how to do that. And then I was like, I'm going to push this a little bit further. (laughs) I would actually really love to just work 30 hours per week because I was thinking like school hours, right? Like what, you know, the time in between when your kids are like actually gone, like if I could fit my work schedule in that, that would be so amazing. Cause then I could be home in the morning before my son goes to school. And then I could be home when he got, comes home. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I ended up figuring out like how to get it actually all done in 30 hours. So basically I cut my work schedule in half, but was still producing at this insanely high level to the point where I had one of my employees and I was managing. So I also had like, you know, I was higher level in the, in the company, come to me and was like, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, how are you getting so much done? Like, are you on speed or something? Like they just (laughs) could not wrap their brains around it. So that's when I started teaching my team about what I was doing and helping them kind of think about time and getting things done in a different way than they had in the past. 
Okay. So this is a beautiful message because I think that there are so many teachers who are listening to everything that you just said, nodding their heads. Even I am. I'm like, yeah, I, I went part-time when my son was born because I felt like that was the only way that I could work less hours. Um, so clearly you came up with something that that worked so well that other people were asking you to, to share this knowledge with them. So what was that? What did you do? Can you let us in on that insight? Yeah, I think it was multiple things. Actually, it wasn't like it just happened overnight. It really was like a testing process. I really started asking myself the question, if I only had this amount of time, how would I figure out how to get this done? And I started by doing some of the strategies we'll probably talk about more today, but I would like literally create a list of things that I wanted to accomplish in my hours. Like that was step number one, being very clear in my mind about what does it actually mean to be done, to get my work done? Because I think so many of us think um, like, we'll do that, but then we tell ourselves that we didn't get enough done. Like there's just never enough and there's more that we can do. So I started, I stopped doing that. I was like, okay, this is my list for this week. This is what I'm going to accomplish was step number one. And then step number two was, okay, how much time am I going to give myself for each one of these things to get done? And I only had, and I, so I wasn't giving myself the option anymore of working more hours mm -hmm. as the solution to getting things done. I think that was the fundamental shift. Like if I just didn't have those hours, then what would I do? Because I think so many of us think the easy, like the normal answer is I would just work some more. I just mm -hmm. worked th this evening or I just work Saturday or I'll just work a couple of hours on Sunday. And I just became unwilling to do that. And I still wanted to pursue my dreams mm -hmm. and my goals. And so that was the shift that I needed to make was, okay, how do I actually get this done? And I just asked myself and I wasn't good at it for a long time. It took me a long time to figure it out. And it would be like, I would take one thing on my list and I would think, okay, I'm going to try and get this thing done in two hours. And if I didn't, I didn't just stop and be like, okay, I guess I can't, <laughs> which would be the easy thing to do. I was like, okay, so what part of that actually worked and what part of that didn't work and what could I try to actually get it done in this amount of time that I'd really love to be able to do it. So there were similar, like there, just like with any job, there were like things that I would do repetitively every week. Those are the ones I started with first. And then there were more project-based things, which I kind of like worked my way up to getting those things kind of systematized. Mm -hmm. So it really was being clear about what I wanted to accomplish being very clear with myself about how much time I was going to give myself to get those things done and then executing on that. I love that. I think there are so many things just popped up for me as you were saying that first thing is like, for me, at least when I do this, it creates an urgency within myself to not get distracted because mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I only have a half an hour to accomplish this. Yep. Everything shut off, no Slack, no messages, no phone, no nothing, no brain going off into a different place. I am hyper-focused on this one thing because I only have 30 minutes to complete it. Right. So yep. I feel like it creates this like urgency within me. And for me, I produce better results when I'm in that state because I am so focused and so there the other yep. thing that came up for me too is, you know, uh, Michael Hyatt talks a lot about these non-negotiables in one of his mm -hmm. books. And it sounds to me like you created a non-negotiable for yourself that this is it. This is the amount of time. And I'm not going beyond this because this is like the expectation that I've set. And, and it's a non-negotiable for me in my life. Does that yeah. echo for you at all? hundred percent. I, I just, and I think what the rule was that I told myself was that I'm no longer going to solve these getting things done problems with time. Mm -hmm. And it was so I, like, there were so many things that happened when I, because of that decision that I made that I never, ever anticipated, like figuring out new systems and different ways of thinking about it and innovating and like thinking about delegating and just like using all these resources that I 
didn't even know that I could create for myself. But when you take time off the table as the answer, you make your brain go to work and figuring it out for yourself, which is what we've done forever in terms of human innovation. We just sometimes don't think about how to do that with our time. We think mm-hmm. that that's just this one thing where that idea doesn't apply. And sure. it's actually true. So it's almost like you are forcing yourself into creative solutions that otherwise would never have been brought to the table if you hadn't constrained yourself to this. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So it's, it's like a pressure cooker to to force you to do that. (laughs) So for our teachers who are listening, because I'm sure that they can identify, you know, they're thinking, okay, I wake up, I go to school really early. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I get there at seven o'clock, seven 15. I make my copies. Like I make sure my lessons are done. And then throughout the day, I'm so busy. I don't have time to think about my lessons for the next day or to call those parents back. So I'm forced to stay at school. I think a lot of it feels like these external circumstances that force us as teachers that we don't have control over Mm -hmm. to, to work longer hours than we want to, than we're contracted for, than we get paid for. Um, so what would you say to a teacher listening to this? Who's like, okay, yes, I get what you're saying. And what does this practically look like for me in the classroom? Totally. And what I want to say to that is, my situation was no different, right? Like I still had, like, I was in a client-based business. I was managing a very big team. So I had all of those same things, um, all those externals that felt like reasons why I couldn't accomplish this. So I would say, start small, start with like the one thing, like, okay, what can I do? Let's say you're, um, I don't even know, like, uh, grading papers, maybe one of those things I'm guessing it's a pretty repetitive task that you teachers are doing, right? What is like, and how much time do you want to give yourself in your week to be able to grade your papers? And then you just go about and you're like, okay, if I only have 30 minutes to do this, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And I don't know the exact answer. I can give you some answers from my director of operations who I want to bring into this conversation because I want her example to be inspiration for all the teachers that are listening. She heard on a podcast, I had just said, I'm going to be hiring somebody. And this was like two years ago. (laughs) And she had been following my podcast forever. And she had reduced, she was in that same thing. She's a teacher. And she was like working 60 hours per week, like spending all the hours doing all the things. And she just started doing what I was telling her on the podcast, which is already exceptional. And she reduced her hours back to just her contracted hours. So mm. now she doesn't work in excess. So she he figured out really creative ways to handle all these things that teachers have to do, like the parents and the grading and the lesson plans and all the things. But because she did the same thing that I did, which was not being willing to use more time, she just came up with creative ways to do it. So mm-hmm. one of the things like from the grading example that she did, she was like, well, I actually think the kids could learn from each other by grading their own papers. So she just has them grade in class. So she like eliminated the grading or a a big chunk of the grading for her. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right thing for everybody, but if you gave yourself options as ways to do these things or to cut out the time of doing them or cut them out entirely, what could you maybe try? That's what we want to do. We want to start trying some things. And because you try something, you're going to learn something. You're like, wait a minute, that part didn't work. But if I made this little adjustment, I bet that would work better. And then you'll try that. And it's just Mm -hmm. this process of trying, experimenting and figuring out how to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, another example, as you were saying this, that popped into my mind, at least that I did, that made a huge change for me as an English teacher, we grade so many essays, right? So many papers. And it seems like 
just never ending. And so one of the things that I came up with over the years was just a rubric that graded for me. So it's almost like I created a system, like a process. It's almost like I delegated grading essays because I wasn't spending 20 minutes per essay anymore. I was spending five minutes per essay. And think about that. I don't even know what percentage decrease that is. You know, I I can't do the math. 75% less time or 150% less time. I have no idea. It was a huge difference. Right. Um, And so that forced me to be like, I can't use this 10 point grading system and write, you know, responses all over my students' essays that mean nothing to them. What I'm doing right now is actually detrimental to their learning. It's detrimental to me and my health. So now I get to come up with something that's different. And this rubric that we have, that's a part of, you know, our world was the change. That was the game changer. You know, that was the difference maker. And I think you're, you're totally right in thinking outside the box and being forced into, into thinking that way and and doing that. Exactly. So I love that so much. I love that example that you gave, because that is one of the things that I think was really helpful for me is, um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, but it's thinking about the thing taking amount and certain amount of time, like grading papers is going to take me like, I don't know, how long does grading take? Does it take 30 <laughs> minutes? Does it take two hours? Like, right. Well, if you have 30 essays times five minutes <laughs> right. is 150 minutes, so like two right. and a half hours ish, give or take. Yeah. So it's the thing that I think that for me, at least for a long time, I thought that there was just some answer to how long something should, something should take. And I just like, didn't know the answer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was always at the effect of the thing. So I didn't review papers, but I had to review my team's work. And that was a huge suck on my time. So I did the same exact thing. I was like, okay, well, I don't really need to check every single thing. Like what are the really important things? What are the things that are going to reduce our liability as a firm? These are the things that I really need to be checking on. And I just made myself a checklist Mm -hmm. and I would just give myself, okay, I'm going to spend two minutes on this. I'm going to spend five minutes on this, whatever it is. And then you create a system that just makes it easier for you to get those things done in the amount of time that you want to get them done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thinking about instead of being at the effect of something for how long it takes, really taking responsibility and owning the decision for how long you're going to give yourself to get the thing done Mm -hmm. and setting up a system for yourself is a brilliant way to be able to do that. One of the things too, Neil, that I'd love to speak into that, that I noticed when I first started working with you is I was using work as a way to make me feel good about myself yeah. too, as a high performer, when I didn't feel like I was being a good mom because motherhood was so challenging in the beginning for me. So I kind of made this excuse almost that, oh, I, I have to work more because the business yeah. needs me. But it was really a way for me to avoid the more challenging parts of my life that I didn't feel like a success in. Can you speak into that? I don't know if anyone listening yeah. to this is going through that same <laughs> thing, but it's definitely something that I struggled with that I'm sure others you know, have that as well. Yeah. It's super common, especially for like high achieving people, high performing people, because we want to be able to give ourselves permission to believe in the high performance and the high achieving in ourselves. And so the places where we see it's easier for us to be high achieving, high performing is the ones that we're naturally going to be inclined towards because we're like validating that for ourselves Mm -hmm. versus the areas that are maybe a little bit more challenging. Like let's say being a mom, if that's more challenging, then what really happens is we somehow use that challenge as a reason to withhold permission from ourselves, to believe that we're high achieving in that area, just because it's more challenging. Mm -hmm. And so 
thinking about like, how can you just decide that that's who you are as a human, even though it looks a little messier over here, maybe you're a little bit more challenging over here. doesn't mean that me, I am less high performing or I'm less high achieving, or that there's somehow a difference in my worth that this is less validating, or I need validation in my work for me to feel okay about my mommy. What we do is we kind of use it as a way to avoid the feelings that we have in that other area of our lives. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I think we've talked about this before, Caitlin, but I want to make sure I want to dive too far into the mindset. Um, but I do want teachers to know this. Your feelings are not created by anything outside of you. It's not created by what your kids say about you as a parent. That's not created by what your kids in the classroom say about you or the parents say about you or anything outside of you. Your brain creates your feelings by the way that you interpret those events. So if you're taking some situation in your parenting and interpreting it in a way that maybe you feel like I'm not doing a good job as a mom, of course, that doesn't feel great. It's not that situation. It's not the parenting. It's your interpretation, the way you're thinking about your parenting that's making you feel that way. So really, I hope empowering for people to see that because you don't have to avoid circumstances then in your life. And in fact, you can just like, okay, there's some thinking going on in my brain right now. That's making me feel, I don't even know, disappointed or, um, having some self doubt or some worry about my parenting. That's all that's happening. Like, it's not actually true. (laughs) I tell this to my brain all the time. I'm like, that's just fake news, girl. Like (laughs) that is not actually true. That's just the way you're thinking about it right now. And you Mm -hmm. can choose to think differently if you want to, but you don't. And so like, think about like that area, I actually like to contrast areas of life because I think it's so instructive for you to see what's happening in your brain. Then if you go over Caitlin, I'm just interested, even in your example, what were you telling yourself about you and your parenting versus what you were telling yourself about you in your business? Mm -hmm. That I am not a good mom, that I'm not cut out for this. And then in business, it's like, I got this, you know, I'm a great leader. Like I love being here. Like I'm good at what I do. The results are exactly what you said. It's like this validation and the results that are being produced in business versus, you know, it's same thing with teaching, like the results that are being produced at school or whatever it is that, you know, so I think all of those things tie into what happened in any profession or anything else in life that we feel called to and that we feel like we're good at versus those areas where we feel like you're saying just thoughts in our brain, we're not so good at, but that's not actually what you call the C line, the actual fact, right? Yeah. And I think that's um, maybe an interesting little mindset tool we could give everybody. Like one of the, like the like mind blowing things that happened for me when I started diving into personal development and coaching and I became certified as coach and is separating out what's an actual fact versus what is my meaning about the fact? Like what's the drama in my head about the fact? Like maybe your child did say X words, but then what are you making that mean about your parenting? Like all of us have had situations probably as parents where your kids say something and you get to choose how you interpret that. You could decide to make their, their words mean that you're a terrible parent, or you could just make it mean, yeah, they're a teenager. Of course, that's the way they're responding, right? <laughs> like has nothing to do with my parenting or uh, this is my challenge right now as a parent to show up in the way that I want to, how do I want to handle this situation? And what do I want to think about it? I'm not going to change maybe the words that they said, but what I say to myself about Mm -hmm. those words, I have 100% control over. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties into, you know, 
all of what we're talking about with teaching too, and being overwhelmed at school. I think a lot of, we fall into this like default and this happened to me in my early years in the classroom too, is this is just what teaching is, Mm. you know, this, and and I just, I just made that a fact. And so then my actions reflected that fact that teaching just meant I worked past my contracted hours that, you know, I I was working on the weekends that the only time I had for myself was the summer and were my breaks. And that was it. And that was just like an accepted truth in my life. And so of course my reality reflected the truth that I created for myself essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so interesting that you see that. Right. And that's, what's so amazing. Like I was just having this discussion with a client before this, um, where we hopped on this podcast, she said, but my reality and, um, I said, well, what's the difference between your reality and what is what decisions you make? Like our reality is a choice. Actually, we think that it's just this situation that we can't manage, that we can't handle. Like it just comes on us. And some things about life that is true. Like some facts come to us. We would never have chosen those facts to be in our lives. For sure. We all have situations like that, but how we think about those determines our actual experience of them. So if we take it back to like your teachers and thinking about like, if, if you're a teacher and you're going to do this work, thinking about making your list of everything that you want to get done, maybe that is like the facts for your week, right? But how you think about it determines whether you're actually going to get it done or not. And in how much time you're going to get it done in. Um, or you're going to use extra hours over your contracted hours mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so wild. Like the solution is actually in your brain, which is not something that anybody teaches us. Right. No, you don't learn that in college. You don't learn that in teacher school. <laughs> no. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of like, so I, I love this and it took me a while to get to this point where I, I really understand what you're saying. And I've really been able to apply it in my life. Like years. I mean, we're going on two years of knowing each other and now it's finally like, okay, I get it. Like this is, I understand. So I think, you know, for our teacher who hasn't had the privilege of getting to work with you for the past two years, they're listening to this and maybe like, okay, that's great. And my reality is still the fact that the fact, right. (laughs) The thought (laughs) or whatever we want to call it, that I work from seven o'clock in the morning until five o'clock at night. And I still am not able to get it all done. What is like, I know you said the first place to start is really thinking about, you know, how many hours do you want to work and what can you do to be creative to essentially fit your work within those hours? What other like practical things can I do? You know, for, for me, I'll give you an example on Sunday night, I sit down for, for 30 minutes and I set up my whole week for myself and I do time blocks of certain things that I'm working on so that I don't have context switching happening. Um, do you have any like specific examples or advice like that, that you could share as well? Yeah, I am a big proponent of pre-planning your week, just like so many of us like pre-plan our meals or things like that. I think pre-planning your time is super important. So I think that just like what you're saying, like make your list of what you're going to get done that week. And I would suggest like, so when I talk about this, like scaling back from 60 to 30 hours, I hope everyone hears me say like, that was a very long-term process for me. That did not happen in a month. It didn't happen in a couple months. Like that was over six months to a year that I was working through that. Mm-hmm. So I think also being clear, like, okay, what are the hours I'm going to work this week? 
and at least drawing the line in the sand. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to stop at 4.30 every day. So now I'm just cutting out a half hour. So how do I get these things done in a half hour less? And just like slowly stepping it back. Like you can't go from, I'm maybe you can, but I, in my experience, it's very challenging to go from like 50 hours down to 30 hours in a week. Like it's, it's too much for the brain. The brain can't handle it. So I would say like decide your hours intentionally. What hours am I going to work? And there's already something empowering about just deciding I'm going to work from seven to five every day. Like it's my choice. I have choice here and I'm choosing this Mm -hmm. because I know it's going to take me a while. Maybe your reason is I know it's going to take me a while to start like scaling back my work week. And then within those hours, these are the things that I'm going to get done and deciding where those things live in your schedule. I'm also a really big proponent of scheduling, like what you're talking about calendaring. Um, so I don't even know, like, let's say grading papers is on your to-do list this week. Okay. And I'm going to, maybe you're like, okay, I'm gonna give myself two hours to do this. Where do those two hours live? Mm-hmm. Cause it's, if you don't put them down intentionally, it's going to be so easy for you to just forget that you made that decision. So I use a calendar as a reminder to myself of all of those decisions that I made about what I was going to get done and when I was going to get it done in my time. Mm-hmm. And then following through on it, that is the part where I see the most challenge. So many people are really good about sitting down and planning their time. And then when it comes to like following through on it, it's so challenging. Even like upfront is challenging because your brain is going to offer you thoughts of like, you can just do it later. You're too busy. You don't have time for that now. Like there's a million good excuses. Probably your, your logical brain is going to come up with as reasons why you shouldn't do what you had pre-planned for yourself to do. And then once you get into doing it, then there's so many easy ways to like sabotage your decision there too, right? Like overthinking things or like procrastinating, like I'll just look at Instagram for a hot second, which never happens. And then I'll go through this, right? Or trying to perfect it or make it better. Like, so there's a lot that happens on both sides of those, like both before and during the execution that those are all mindset things. Mm -hmm. So figuring out why you're overthinking, why you're procrastinating, why you're trying to perfect something and just not doing it anymore, deciding that that's just not something you're willing to do. And this is why I love one of the things we want to talk about today, which was constraining your time and how it increases your productivity. Cause when you do that, you don't have the time to waste right? Like you just, you don't have that luxury. And so you give yourself 30, a small enough time block to get the things done that you don't have time to go waste an Instagram. You don't have time to overthink this. You don't have time to perfect it. You just got to go to work and get it done. Mm -hmm. It doesn't allow for the space to even go there because there's this urgency of like, and so one of the things that I do is I actually set a timer because, Mm -hmm. and I know that might not be helpful for everybody, but that's helpful for my brain to see on my clock. I got, I got 15 minutes. Like I got to get to work. Like it's ticking away right here. And I did the same thing, you know, when we were working on writing our book is Mm -hmm. we did these like Pomodoro writing sessions of 20 minutes with music on timer set go. So there was no time to think like pre-think as I'm looking at this blank piece of paper, whatever it is. So I think, you know, that same concept is exactly what you're saying, just in whatever it is that we have put on our to-do list within those time blocks that we've created on our schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Most people actually give themselves way too much time to get things done. And that's how we develop these habits of Mm. overthinking and procrastination and perfecting and all of that. 
And so I don't know if you've heard of this idea or anybody in, in who's listening has heard of the pair two principle. Um, most of us think about it as like um, 80 percent of the work creates 20 percent of the result or I'm sorry, 20 percent of the results creates 80 percent, 20 percent of the work creates 80 percent of the results. Ugh. But there's <laughs> the other side of this, which is 80 percent of work gets done in the last 20% of time. Mm. So if you think about that, if you just thought about it, like this is the last 20%, like I don't have time to waste. Think about how focused you are. Your attention is like lasered in. You're not like thinking about other things. You're not, you know, playing around with other things. You don't have like a million things open on your computer that you're looking at. Like, I just have to, I have to go to work right here and get this done. I love that principle. I've not heard that before. Yeah. That is fascinating to right? me. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why people like myself who are sometimes procrastinators, I do my best work at the very end. Yep. Because Interesting. 80% of it gets done at the, in the last 20% of time. Wow. That is so crazy to me. I love that. I'm going to write that down and like put it on right on my <laughs> desk so that I see it all the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, because think it. about like the focus and the intensity that happens at that last 20% of time is so different than it is at the very beginning. So percent highly productive during that time. Yeah. Well, I totally, I even remember in college, you know, I always used to procrastinate. I'd like wait until the last minute to write my papers. I'd hand them in whatever, and I'd do well on them. And then I remember my senior year being like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, I'm just going to write my papers in advance, you know? Mm -hmm. And they were terrible. Like I didn't produce good work. And I think it's because that like need to get it done and complete it on time and that hyper awareness and that hyper focus just wasn't there. I didn't create it for myself in the way that you're talking about here mm -hmm. um, because you're absolutely right. I, I know we can all relate to this. All of our teachers, when we have something due the next day, like grades, you better believe like you are working fast through that to get it complete, to get it turned in and be yeah. done with it. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I love that you bring that up. So if, if you could just channel that experience for yourself and use it as like, this is the experience I want to create for myself for these other things that I want to get done. I think that you would blow your own mind about how efficient you could actually be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything else that, you know, we haven't talked about or that you want to discuss with our teachers at all that comes to I mind? Yeah. I think the other thing is really thinking about why you want to do this. So for many of us, it is like, my example is I wanted to have more space to be a mom. That might not be true for everybody. So you want to have a really juicy, compelling reason why to do this work, because it's challenging work actually. And if you don't have a, a why that really like propels you forward, you'll try it for a while and then quit. Mm. So if you're going to do it, I would love for you to give yourself like an amazing reason why and reward yourself along the way. So, um, one of the books that I've read over this last year, which I really, really loved is Dan Sullivan's the gap in the game. And he mm. talks about measuring your progress backwards. So instead of like constantly measuring yourself against your ideal, which is in front of you always and feeling like I never measure up because I'm never there measuring your progress from behind you. So you can see how far you've actually come. And I love to do that in lots of different ways. But one of the ways that I love and that was really helpful to me is to think about, okay, when I get this done, when I told myself I was going to do this, 
I like my evening is going to be so amazing. I'm like, not going to have to think about work. I'm going to just get to like relax and be with my family. And that was such a reward because it was like a double. It was like, I felt so accomplished and so amazing and proud of myself. But then on the, on the back end, I also got to take that with me, that sense of accomplishment and pride into my relaxed time, into my off time. So to me, there's this huge reward on the other side of doing the work that is kind of intrinsic and just feels amazing. But I, that's for me, right? That wouldn't necessarily be the same for everyone. You need to figure out what that is for you to keep mm-hmm. yourself going long enough to actually achieve what you yeah. want. To yeah. Here. I mean, that's such a great reminder, even as I'm listening to you, you know, like I said, we've been working together for a long time and I still will go back to my old habits. Mm. You know, I'll still find myself at seven o'clock or on Sunday answering emails or doing something just to feel like I'm contributing. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not that I even necessarily have to be working. It's Mm -hmm. this like desire within me to feel like I'm contributing to the team and to what we're doing here at EB. And I don't have to do that to be contributing, you know? No. And that's such an important point for everyone to see, like with you teachers that are listening to this, everything that you're doing is super well-intended. Like you care so much about our kids and about their learning. And that's why I love you so much. And also there's a way to do this. That is not at your own expense Mm -hmm. is not at the expense of your own family and, and your own health and all of that. And that's really what we want to try and help you see today is there is a way, do I know the exact path? Not exactly. But what I know is it starts by being very clear about what you want to get done. Very clear about the amount of times you're willing to give yourself to get those things done and then executing on that and learning. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like failure, failure, failure for a while until you start getting it yeah. and you create systems and processes for yourself. Just like your rubric example. I love the rubric example. That's amazing. Like if you just set up a rubric for everything that you did, how easy would you make it for yourself to be able to go execute on that? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I want everybody to think about is um, something we didn't talk about yet, but super important in terms of like your brain. When you make decisions ahead of time, you're using the higher quality part of your brain versus like sitting down. If you have like an hour prep time or something, if you sit down and ask yourself, what should I get done? Like, look at what happens in your brain. It's probably like this Pandora's box of stuff, right? Because your toddler brain, I call it the toddler brain, but it's your primitive brain has taken over and wants you to just do what feels good or easy in that moment. It's not necessarily the thing that is the best use of your time. So deciding ahead of time, at least 24 hours in advance of what you're going to do in your, in your time, you're going to have better results because you're going to give yourself better answers with that part of your brain than with your primitive part of your brain. Mm. So another beautiful reason why pre-planning your time is so helpful because what you create and what you'll get done will look different than if you just were doing it moment by moment and asking your brain, what, what, what should we do now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, I just want to say one other thing before I do, I just want to say, thank you so much for all of this. It's just absolutely brilliant. Like I'm going to come back and listen to it. I feel like I just got coaching sitting here with you in our time together. Um, and it's just so special to get to, to share you with our teachers and and the work that you do is just absolutely amazing. It's impacting so many people's lives. And I just want you to know that, that we appreciate you so much. Um, but one of the things that, that just made me think of, and maybe you can speak into this too, is what I've started to notice about myself. And even when I was in the classroom is there 
were certain times of day where I would schedule, you know, certain tasks and things that needed to get completed, like grading or like planning or copies or responding to parents or whatever. And I realized that there were certain times of day that I performed better at certain tasks. So I would time block those things out at those times. Like I'm faster at responding to parents' emails first thing in the morning, and then don't think about it the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'd always schedule time for myself before school started to respond to parent emails. And then same thing with grading. I am not going to sit down and grade papers at 3.30 after I am exhausted from dealing with students all day and being on as a teacher, right? So my prep planning was always dedicated to grading. As much as I didn't want to sit there at that time and grade, I wanted to go talk to the teacher next door. I wanted to just turn my brain off or whatever. I was doing the work to make my life better. So it was hard, exactly like what you said. Like, it's not like, this is not the easy way out, right? It is a challenging task that we get to create for ourselves in our lives that gives us such a benefit in the long run. And exactly what you said of coming back to your why, like, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this is so, so important. So, so important. Yeah. And what you just said there um, is, is such a valuable point everybody's brain works a little bit different, right? You probably notice in yourself like times throughout your day where you're more energized versus less energized. So I'm kind of like you, Kaylin, like my brain works the best early in the morning. By the end of the day, I'm just not very good. Like my brain's just not working so well. (laughs) And so I, if it's like something that is going to, if it's a task or a project that's going to require a lot of me, a lot of my brain, I always put those in the morning. And then I leave the things that are like, let me be a little more remote, or I don't have to think quite as hard um, to the afternoon. Cause I just know that's a better match for where my brain energy and power is at the end of the day. So totally to the extent that's possible, it's not always possible for everybody to be able to do that, but to the extent that's possible, how could you set up a schedule like that, that works with your natural energy and your natural, like when your brain is firing, you know, the most is a great way to, to approach it as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for this incredible conversation. Where can our teachers, if they're interested and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I know you work with entrepreneurs and, and business owners, but even if a teacher wanted to learn a little bit more from you, where could they find you? Where could they get more just brilliance from you? Yeah. Thank you so much, Caitlin. So I am primarily working with business owners at this point, but my podcast, which is now called the six figure coach, which none of your teachers would think of searching, um, at the very beginning episodes, like the first hundred episodes it, are all dedicated to this, to the time management, the productivity, all of that. So if they want to go back and listen to the, it's about the first hundred episodes, that would be a great place for them to learn. I also would highly recommend that they connect with my director of operations, Kelly Byfield, um, F-I-F-I-E-L-D on Instagram, because she is like the perfect model of this work as it applies to teachers. Um, she's done it. She's an amazing resource. She's so helpful you have questions, um, she is really your girl to go to. Awesome. I love it. Well, we will include all of that information in the show notes for you guys. Um, and thank you again so much, Neil. It's just been such a privilege to get to spend this time with you. Thank you, Kayla. It was my honor.